Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Top Edge. It's been another massive week in cricket and I am joined once again by Callum to talk through it. So how are you doing, Callum? Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Doing well. Thanks for having me back again. Perfect. Everything's going pretty well so far. Um, been a pretty big week in, in cricket, as, as we said off the top there. Um, Chris Lynn finally signed with the UAE. That, that finally came out after we talked about it for about two weeks, predicting it would happen and then not happen and happen again. So yeah, he's off. He'll be here for a little bit of the Big Bash at least. Um, it's now been over a 1,000 days since Virat Kohli's hit 100, so uh, that'll be good for the Indian listeners. And David Warner finally signed with the Sydney Thunder. We got that email through this morning. He's currently talking to the media uh, at the SCG at the moment. So, it's um, yeah, everything's starting to fall into place for the Big Bash, and uh, that's one of the things we'll get onto a little bit later with our, with our Big Bash drafts. But before we get into that, we're going to preview the Australian and Zimbabwe ODI series that begins uh, in exactly a week's time from when we record. There's going to be three matches on the 28th, the 31st, uh, and the 3rd of September. A pretty quick turnaround for Zimbabwe, though. Uh, they're obviously playing India at the moment, and we'll get talk about that series a little bit in a minute. Um, but these, are, these ODIs are going to be played in Townsville, so at Tony Island Stadium. Honestly, I don't know who Tony Island is, but uh, he's got a stadium after him, so... Good on him. Um, the only two previous ODIs at this ground, though, PNG beat Hong Kong twice. So uh, a new venue, which is good. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's exciting to see cricket in um, more places. Um, as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's um, good to have it in northern Australia to take advantage of uh, our climate. Yeah. So, you know, um, you wouldn't normally think of having cricket in Australia in August, but, you know, it's what we're doing. We're having, you know, ODIs, which is fun. Um, yeah, like you said, quick turnaround for Zimbabwe. They've been busy. They've mm. been like New Zealand level tour busy, <laughs> um, which is good. You know, it's good exposure for the team and that sort of thing. And they are, you know, showing improvement. Um, but yeah, I don't know whether there'll they'll be an element of fatigue because it'll be pretty similar squad coming over here as it has been lately for them. Yeah, uh, Zimbabwe obviously improving on the field, but off the field as well. They've managed to wipe out all of their debt. They kind of uh, racked up over a long period of time and now they're you know back in the black they had a, a cancer fundraiser at the ground yesterday in that indian map so you know money's starting to come in and they can start giving that back out uh, to the community which is really good to see good to see zimbabwe up and about um we'll have a look at the australian squad first though we got aaron finch sean abbott ashton agar alex carey cam green josh hazelwood uh, manas mitch barsh glenn maxwell steve smith mitch stark marcus stoinis david warner and adam zampa that team should uh, destroy Zimbabwe, shouldn't they? Um, you'd think so. Um, I like that you put the three players you dislike first. That was fun. Oh, I love um, <laughs> I know it was in order. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that team has quite a bit of quality. You know, it's got good pace attack. Obviously got Zampa with the spin. Got pretty good bats in there. And Finch. And, um We've, uh, yeah, no, nah, I, I think it's a pretty good group and I'd expect a sweep of this series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Zimbabwe's not yet uh, named their squad. Obviously, they're still playing, so uh, pretty difficult to name a squad when you're still going. But, yeah, they'll be flying straight into Townsville and then uh, getting started. But there's been some standout players in that series so far, some of some to look forward to. Uh, Innocent Kyra up the top of the order has been very good. 
Uh, Sikanda Raza, who bowls exactly like Sunil Narayan, just not quite as good. Um, Sean Williams is back after a bit of a break, and Ryan Burl has been uh, very good with bat and ball. So th- there's plenty of uh, talent in that Zimbabwe team as well. Yeah, Williams and Bell have um, been really good during this India series. I mean, probably they've been pretty thoroughly outclassed the Zimbabwe's yeah. in the uh, in the series, but they, they've had some bright spots. Um, like you mentioned, Bell's played really well. Um, it's nice to see Williams back in that team, and they got quite a good. Um, they got a good mix of experienced players and younger players, which I quite like, you know, that's, they got Raza who's been playing for years and, um, you know, he's a good influence. He obviously scored that, those centuries or yeah, against um, Bangladesh. And um, yeah, he's a good head to have around. And um, Burl is uh, 28. So experienced, but, you know, still developing as well. And um, I think all these international series that Zimbabwe have been having um, probably allow some of the players to maybe expand into different domestic leagues you know we've seen some of the Zimbabwe players declare for the BBL draft which as you said we'll look into later so you know I think there's definitely growth in the Zimbabwe team and I think you know they have a chance of having at least a decent performance yeah uh, their, their bowlers have been really good and impressed me so far obviously didn't take many wickets in that first match but uh, their opening bowler Tanka Chivani uh, took I didn't take any wickets but he's bowling you know 140 plus that's really impressive uh, the rest of the bowl is a little bit slower, but, you know, the, the, there's every chance, you know, on a good day, you, anyone can beat anyone. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll have a look at a past result, though. So Australia has been in Zimbabwe 27 times and just lost twice. But the most recent match was a win by Zimbabwe. That was in Harare uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, Zimbabwe won that one by three wickets. Michael Clark made 68, Brad Haddon 49, but Sean Williams was still there. He took two for 21 and uh, Nathan Lyon took four wickets. So... Um, good on, on recent forms, Zimbabwe should get over the top, but uh, I don't think that will be the case. We'll get into predictions, though. Callum, who do you think is going to make the most runs, take the most wickets, and how do you see the series uh, folding up? Yeah. Um, so, look, I think Adam Zamp is going to take most wickets. Um, I know the conditions don't traditionally suit him, but limited overs leg spin is pretty devastating. And... Um, as we've seen for left-arm orthodox, going away from the right-handers, it's pretty pretty effective lately. And um, Zampa's got a lot of really good stuff. He's got a good wrong and he's good at changing his pace. He's good at varying his lengths just enough, not too much, so he doesn't go too short and that sort of thing. Um, and I think he's going to be the top wicket-taker um, because the Zimbabwe batters are going to be really amped up for the fast bowling. So then when you get that first or second change, that's going to be when... The Australian strike, I'd say. And then runs-wise, um, I wouldn't be too shocked if it was Alex Carey. I think um, – I know he's had a hard time being the new keeper and all that sort of thing, but I think as batting as a left-hander against, let's call it an inexperienced bowling, bowling lineup, I think he has a chance to kind of put up some pretty big scores and some pretty important scores if, say, some of the Australian players at the top order get complacent and give away their wickets cheaply and that sort of thing. So probably a bit of a bit of a left field kind of prediction, but I think Alex Carey will be, mm-hmm. be on the top there. And uh, the, the result, you reckon a 3-0? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with you because I don't think Zampa's going to get enough of a bowl to... Um, to take the most wickets. I think we saw uh, with this India series that the top order of Zimbabwe is really struggling with the pace. Even 
the pace of like Mohamed Siraj, who's, who's not the quickest. So I think, uh, you know, Mitch Stark is just going to blast through them probably and, and take a bunch of wickets there. Um, with the bat, it's got to be one of the openers just because I, I can't see the wickets, um, enough wickets coming to get down to carry to score enough runs. So um, David Warner, I think will, will um, you know, after signing with the Thunder, we'll take some form in and then uh, score a lot of runs. Hopefully Aaron Finch can do the same, but I'm not 100% sure about that. And, and obviously 3-0 for me as well. Um, any players under a little bit of pressure apart from, you know, Aaron Finch and his captaincy? Um, well, once again, the three you mentioned at the top there. So um, <laughs> Finch, Abbott and Agar. Um, I like Abbott. I've said said that before, um, but he's not actually been forming. performing. I mean, he's, he's had decent performances in the 100, but not set the world alight. And um, he, as you've mentioned, hasn't performed at the international level. So if he, again, against theoretically weaker um, opponents, if he doesn't take some wickets or score some runs, then you you start to ask questions about his place in that squad. And then we we spoke about Ashton Nagar before a few weeks ago. Um, just doesn't quite do it as, um, as um, you know, if you pick him as a spinner and, you know, if you do pick him as a spinner, do you lose a bit in pace bowling if you select Cam Green and leave out one of the pure paces and that sort of thing, you know? So I think there's a little bit of pressure on him, but, you know, I think it's just those three. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree there, obviously. Uh, you know, the rest of it's pretty pretty so, uh, solid. Um, but, yeah, obviously Finch, the captaincy issues, and then, you know, the chance he might retire at the end of the T20 World Cup. Um, Sean Abbott, you know, hasn't really, um, I don't know, he doesn't really offer enough with the bat to beat Cameron Green in those all-rounder stakes and doesn't offer enough with the ball to, like, overtake one of the bowlers. So I'm not really sure how he fits in um, to a, to a full-strength team, obviously. If Australia's playing a, a second eleven or whatever, they'll, they'll pick him. And then Agar, as you said, Zampa's there. Zampa does a great uh, great amount of work. And then if Cameron Green plays instead, it's probably instead of uh, Agar, only about seven, something like that. So it's going to be... Um, yeah, I think Agar's kind of not lost his way like from his perspective, but in kind of the team setup and, and how Australia picks their 11, I, I just don't think they need that second uh, second spinning all-rounder uh, anymore. But we'll move on to uh, segment two, the international cricket whip around and a little bit of 100 as well. Um, South Africa just destroyed England. Uh, an innings and 12 runs was the margin of victory there. Ollie Pope did well to start off with, 73, but, you know, the uh, South African pace bowlers are just too good. Rabada with five. Uh, Norkia was just incredible, just incredibly fast, really. His slowest ball was 144, and he cranked it right up to 155 at different points. So, yeah, just amazing stuff. And then um, Sarul Ewi uh, came back with 73 in the second innings, and uh, Stuart Broad took three, Stokes took three, but it was, it was never going to be enough with England being bowled out for 149 in that last inning. So pretty disappointing stuff from England, really. It is, it is, and a lot of the stuff that you've seen um, written about online about it mm. is that Baz Ball is over. <laughs> um, I think that's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. I think they just got overwhelmed by just a really impressive pace attack. You know, Rabat is so accurate and gets good pace on what he does. He varies his lengths. He's got a good short ball. He's like, he doesn't give anything away. He's yeah. probably... I'd say he's probably the best fast bowler in the world right now. And then Norcha was incredible. I mean, we've seen a little bit of him in a couple of series, but they haven't really unleashed him, so to speak. Um, he definitely got unleashed in this one and um, just put so much pressure with all that pace and just 
I imagine even if you get a good clean defense on a delivery that's 155, it probably hurts the hurts the fingers a bit, you know? And I think that would definitely get in the batsman's head, especially when they're trying to play aggressively with that Brendan McCollum inspired kind of a kind of technique. So it's uh I'm a little surprised it was as heavy of a loss as it was, mm-hmm. but I'm not surprised that they lost. The South African team are kind of getting back together and they're looking really strong. Yeah, definitely. I think if South Africa can get some, uh, not necessarily better batters, but those batters find some some form and, and really put together a good 12 months, they're going to be one of the best teams in the world. Uh, still two tests left in that series. So, you know, anything can happen. We'll probably see some more spin come in. Um, I'm interested to see if Simon Harmer comes in for South Africa. Obviously, he uh, dominates in the UK and County Cricket and has done for a long time. Probably one of the top, uh, top three or four off spinners in the world and hasn't Really played much test cricket, so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, we'll move on to the West Indies and New Zealand, though. Their ODI series is split 1-1 after we covered that uh, T20 series last week. Uh, pretty low scoring, though. Kane Williamson was a top scorer for New Zealand in the first match with only 44, but Shamar Brooks, who I said uh, shouldn't be in the team because he bats too slowly, made a 70, uh, made 79 off about 110, which was kind of perfect for the conditions when you're only chasing um, 200. Yeah, when it's low scoring, then Brooks is perfectly fine. You know, mm. don't need to push the pace too much when you're chasing a lower total than you'd expect. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he showed patience and uh, played some good strokes. And, yeah, it was um, a good result for the West Indies. And I was pretty surprised. I, I thought New Zealand would take that T20 momentum and, uh, and really hammer it home in the ODI. But um, obviously they performed well in the second ODI, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, yeah, yeah. Um, the West Indies bowlers kind of actually did bring it a bit more than you'd have, you'd have expected. Yeah, absolutely. It was good to see that the West Indies were um, up and about and competing, even though the game took about 10 hours to, to play out just because of the rain. A little bit frustrating to have to stay up at four o'clock in the morning to watch. Um, but yeah, the second ODI, as you mentioned, Finn Allen scored 96 for New Zealand. Um, Kane Williamson was out of this game. He had a quad injury. Just once again, Kane Williamson being injured. I wonder if he's, he should just give up this white ball cricket, at least ODI cricket. This is only his third game since the World Cup, believe it or not. So he's kind of not really been in this team anyway, so it doesn't really make sense for him to be around there. Um, but, yeah, it was yeah Finn Allen, obviously, 96, and four wickets to Kevin Sinclair, who's also in this BBL draft. But uh, the West Indies were six for 27 at one point and then eight for 72 a little bit later. Uh, so a couple of good, like, ninth and 10 wicket partnerships, but... You know, when you're when you're six for twenty seven, you're never going to win, are you? No, it would have been if it weren't for the tail wagging. So there was a fifty down the order by um the spinner Karaya, and then forty nine yeah. from Alzara Joseph. Um, if it wasn't for that, it'd have been a pretty embarrassing score. So you know, good on the tail for for wagging and uh, making it look at least a little bit respectable. But New Zealand were all bowled out, so you know there mm. is definitely positives for the West Indies. They they bowled really well. Um, as you mentioned, Sinclair um has got good pace. <laughs> Um, also varies his length length pretty well. And he's quite young, so you know he's a developing player, and he's quite an exciting prospect around. Um, another one who's in the draft is Hossein, who's taken a few wickets in the yep. series, and um, I think he is um, a good mainstay for that that kind of group. And um, Jason Holder um, took three for twenty four and nine overs is just fantastic. You know, Holder is kind of the glue that keeps the West Indies team together. Absolutely, yeah. I, I don't understand why they ever took the captaincy off of him. He seems to be you know, they're in every format and he's uh, the best player in most of those formats as well. So uh, it doesn't make sense. Maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes. There always seems to be in West Indies cricket. Uh, but as we mentioned before, Zimbabwe and India, 
honestly, really easy stuff for India. Chase down 189 uh, without loss in the first match, 50s to Shikha Darwin and Shubman Gill, and then Zimbabwe 161 all out in the second one with uh, Williams and Bell top scoring. So, yeah, pretty pretty easy stuff for India. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, India just have far superior batting. That's mm. that's the basically the straight and narrow of that series. Um, you know, Zimbabwe have had a couple of decent performances with the bat, but yeah, they just can't compare. Mm. Can't compare to the the firepower and the strength of the Indian side. Yeah, and I, I, what I've noticed, like at the very start of these games, obviously India's been bowling first, and the ball has just been swinging a mile. And I think part of that. Harare is relatively uh, elevated in terms of altitude and uh, they're playing very early in the morning. I think it's a 9.30 kickoff. So, yeah, the, the ball's just been hooping around and, and Zimbabwe has not done well to combat that. I think they're doing that partly. So it's, you know, Indian time zones and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, as you said, Zimbabwe, just not quite good enough. Hopefully they, they can do a little bit better against Australia, but, you know, Australia is pretty good as well. Um, let's move on to the 100, though. I know last week you asked me who's going to be the next one to hit 100 or take a hat-trick, and uh, well, that clip never went out because Will Jacks hit one on the night that we recorded. So uh, yep. Will, Will Jacks hit 108 from 48 balls, another one that's that's been in the Big Bash, and I've kind of put all these Big Bash guys together. Um, Daniel Sams has hit 55 from 25. We saw him uh, in the Big Bash. He's capable of hitting a very long ball, and he's done that again in the UK. His bowling, though, has not been all that great. I think he's taken one wicket in his last three games. So, um, yeah, not not awfully good from Daniel Sams apart from the bat. Uh, you said Sean Abbott earlier hasn't really lit the world alight, and that's pretty true in, in most of the games, but he did take four for eight in one of them and and uh, from 15 balls. That's that's really good. And Adam Zampa also in that game, two for 17. But the big talking point this week has been Marcus Stoinis and uh, his interesting gesture as he got out to Muhammad Hasnain. If we remember back to the Big Bash last year, uh, uh, Moses Enriquez was also not a big fan of, of Muhammad Hasnain, was he? No, no. Um, yeah, something about Hasnain really winds up some of the Australian players. I think it's this one. He, he just throws maybe, the ball, doesn't maybe. he? Maybe. <laughs> um, he's worked on it. It's still maybe a little bent, but he's worked on it. Um, look, at the end of the day, you've got to be a professional, don't you? Mm. That's not really on. You know, if if the umpires deem that fair delivery, then you just have to play it on its merits, don't you? And if you get out to it, then so be it. You can't really be reacting like that. I think it's pretty inappropriate, pretty unprofessional. Yeah, definitely unprofessional. I think it was pretty funny as well, though. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, yeah. I don't think the reason, like, Hasdain does throw it, in my opinion. I, I pointed it out on Twitter a few days before Stoinis did. Um, that he's, he's come back and it's, the action, in my opinion, hasn't changed all that much. There's still a very bent arm. But, uh, look, throwing's not that big of a deal for me, to be honest with you. I think that, like, I couldn't go out there and just throw the ball and be, a, a like, a world-class bowler. That's not how it works. You still have to have all the skill and the talent um, of every other bowler in the world to be able to do it within reason, I guess. I don't think Hassan is is awfully... Um, it's not awfully bent. He's not getting a major advantage. He's not bowling 165 or whatever. It's not a, not that kind of a throw. So yeah, it's not a big deal for me. And Stoinis probably just frustrated that he got out. I would have thought not, not so much frustrated that it was a throw. Um, but David Weiser, who's also in the big bash draft, 34 from 14 in one game, really big hitting towards the end. Good to see Namibia being strong and uh, three for 15 in that same game. And then Rashid Khan finally back in the wickets after going wicketless against Ireland. 
with three for 25 and Colin Munro in that game, 67 from 37. So it looks like the big bash guys are all doing pretty well. Yep, yep. They might be uh, trying to paint up their stock. You know, obviously we don't mm-hmm. know what the platinum players are yet. So maybe some of these gold players are trying to make their make their case for being those platinum ones and getting that those those bigger salaries. I think that's the big incentive of the draft. Um, from what I've read, although I don't know if it's necessarily confirmed, it's around six figures for getting a first round pick. So that's pretty can, good money. I can tell you the exact number. It's three hundred forty thousand for a platinum player. There you go. That's very good money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, there's there's incentive to perform, and that you know it's good for the hundred competition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll move on to the women though. The Australian women, I've noticed, haven't. Well, they did really well in that first week. Obviously, Beth Mooney with I think it was ninety seven, wasn't it? And a bunch of good bowling performances, but it's been a little bit quieter uh, this week. Sophie Molyneux was probably the best, two for 22 and uh, 39 from 28 at the top of the order. She opened the batting and the bowling, so every clubby's dream there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, Sophie Molyneux has been pretty good. She's been pretty accurate with um, her bowling, which I think has been the key. Um, I think a lot of 100 bowlers have been too experimental, and that's why they've been so expensive. You know, I think Daniel Sams is a pretty good example of that. Um, Elise Perry has also had a pretty good week. Um, she's hit some good scores and um, maybe not quite um, there with the bowling, but with batting, she's certainly back in pretty good form. Yeah, I've been saying that Elise Perry should, um, you know, just cut back on the bowling a little bit for the last few years. That The pace of women's cricket has just increased to a level where she's no longer one of the fastest. In fact, she's probably one of the slower um, pace bowlers. So I think it's probably better to just, just focus on the batting and really get that going. But uh, her strike rate's been really good. Obviously, we've we, she's been criticised in the past for having a low T20 strike rate, both in the Big Bash uh, and in international cricket. So, yeah, good to see her finally getting to the rope, not hitting a massive number of sixes, but women's cricket fours will do most of the time. Um, Alana King, hat-trick last week, not that much this week. Her best performance was a none for eight from 20 balls. So, you know, keeping it tight, but not taking a lot of wickets. Uh, the leggy, the Australian leggy that was doing well, though, Amanda J. Wellington, three for 27. Really good performance there. Tad on the expensive, expensive side. That was only 15 balls, but, um, you know, really good bowling. And Alyssa Healy up the top of the order, a 46 from 28. Yeah, no, we're, um, we're happy to see Healy in the runs again. Um, I think that's a that's a welcome relief. Yeah. And um, you mentioned a lot of King. I mean, being tight in these 100 games can be quite a bit of a difference maker. Mm-hmm. But I think part of what's influenced... King's maybe slight downturn in form is she's been elevated up the order. Yes. And I think that's put a lot of mental pressure on her. I think she views herself as more of a bowling all-rounder, but she's been batting at five and six and that sort of thing. I think that's been getting to her mentally a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, hopefully she uh, she comes back. I reckon just, you know, let her bowl. That's that's what they should be doing. She's she's a better bowler than his batter, obviously, and, and that's what she should be doing. Um, I think Elise Perry and Alyssa Healy have both stood up a little bit because of the Meg Lanning news, they're going to be really important in the summer going forward. And then who knows for how long um, like Meg Lanning could retire. We don't know what's happening there. Um, so, you know, those two are really going to have to step up and Elise Perry might even find her way back into the T20 team uh, because of that departure of Meg Lanning. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be really good to see uh, those guys step up. And then Sophie Molyneux did it again last night, 24 from 13 and two from 11. So, you know, Australians doing pretty well. Hopefully we see a little bit more from them, uh, in the well, in the next week or so, um, we'll move on though to the future tours program that was announced after it'd been leaked about forty-eight times over the last six months. Um, any highlights for you out of that one to start with? Um, I don't know about highlights. Um, 
Afghanistan test is fun. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you wanted to ask this a little bit later, but I'll, I'll mention it now. I feel mm. like it's taken a bit of an excitement out of international cricket. You know, I think it's nice to telegraph, you know, this is going to be there when, you know, you mm. can save your time and whatever and that sort of thing. But, you know, sometimes there was an element of, you know, not knowing was part of the fun. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely uh, part of it. But, you know, these things have to be planned out as well. I'm a little bit disappointed by that Afghanistan test. Obviously, it was meant to be played um, last summer before the Ashes. And now we have to wait until, what what is that, August 2026 before we get to play that test. It'll probably be played in the top end rather than um, in Hobart as well. So, you know, before the Ashes again, but a, a disappointing one for me. Um, highlights, ICC tournaments pretty much every year. I'm looking at 2024-25 here, and there are two men's ICC tournaments and uh, one's women one, so it's going to be a pretty packed, packed year there. Um, the standout for me, though, 20 tests against India and England from Australia's, what is it, 40 tests. So we're playing half, playing half of our tests against uh, India and England, which is you know, disappointing to me. Yeah, yeah, you want to see more variety in Test cricket. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, as we've talked about quite a bit these past few weeks, mm-hmm. it's where the money is. And, you know, Test cricket against India is where a lot of money is. And that's, you know, that's probably why we're having so many so many uh, matches against them. And then, obviously, you know, the Ashes is very marketable and that sort of thing, and it's traditional and that sort of, you know, that's always going to be an attraction. And I suppose that's why, but it is disappointing. You'd like to see, you know, a mix of different sides. Um, I'd like a long test series against New Zealand again. I think that would be, that would be good to see, but you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, that's right. It's look only India and England actually make test money for Australia in, uh, in test cricket. So yeah, that's why we have so many tests against them. You know, the West Indies touring doesn't bring in that much cash. That's for sure. Um, but we're going to sit in this summer, which will be good. Uh, I want to talk about South Africa for a little bit, though. They're test matches, so they're down to 28 for this cycle. Um, you know, Australia's got 40, England 43, India 38, and South Africa, who are, you know, you'd think would be that fourth fourth team in that pedestal, are down to 28, Pakistan to 27. Um, even Bangladesh is higher at 34. So, you know, they're really low, and they're playing just two test matches at home in the summers now. It's, um, you know, the death of test cricket is coming for South Africa. And it was something that Graham Smith flagged on Sky Sports uh, this week. He suggested that maybe just the top five or six teams should be playing Test cricket. Um, it's not really great to see from the guy that's that's leading that nation. Yeah, yeah, that's um, it's definitely a very disappointing comment. I mean, especially from yours and my perspective, because we both love Test cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, it's pretty pretty tough pill to swallow. Um, I suppose. What Graham Smith is saying is what some of the, you know, some sects of the cricketing world are saying. It's that test cricket is, it is that elite level and they respect and acknowledge that, but they're almost making it exclusive. And that kind of, I think that's tough because test test cricket, I feel is the foundation of cricket as a whole. And I'd love to see smaller nations play more tests. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately we're not going to get that right. Ireland, has just 12 tests scheduled over the next six years. Um, Zimbabwe, 20. It's uh, it's not looking great there. Afghanistan, 21. So, yeah, I'm not really happy by it, but it is it is what it is at the end of the day. 2026-27, um, we're going to have six test matches. And I think this is where the uh, playing games up north is going to 
going to come into Australia's um, summers. Obviously, that Afghanistan test, that's in August, so that will definitely be up north. Um, but we've got two tests in March. Uh, they are against Bangladesh, right? So I would think they'd also be up north. Uh, March, obviously, AFL season starting. We can't use these bigger grounds unless they want to play in Canberra, which I, I doubt they would. Um, we'll, be, we'll be up north. And I think there's a lot of ODI cricket in here. Australia's playing, what is it, 43 ODIs, and that's outside of World Cups and that kind of thing. There's also a few extras that'll be squeezed in there. I think they'll be up north. I think we're going to, Australia's going to actually start using um, the entire country during the summers. And we've seen a bit of it this week as well. The Melbourne Renegades and Melbourne Stars are both in Darwin at the moment. They played PNG yesterday. Um, so we're, we're finally starting to see Australia's, Australia's cricket become 12 months a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's good to see cricket all over Australia because it's always had that that appeal across Australia, mm-hmm. which a lot of other sports have had difficult difficult reaching, as you mentioned, the AFL and the NRL and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so being able to see live cricket in places like that more frequently, I think is a good thing, you know. So I think that is a good development of this these next few years. And I guess it's maybe they're trying to steer into a revival of ODI cricket. Yeah, definitely looks that way. I'm looking, this is one, an interesting one. So in 2023 in the winter, there's a World Test Championship, which Australia is currently looking like they'll probably play in. Um, then we've got five tests against England, the Ashes. September, we're off to South Africa for three, uh, five ODIs and three T20s. Then off to India again in September for three ODIs and then five T20s. And the World Cup, it's going to be a very, very busy time. Um, and then we lead into a bunch of um, a bunch of other cricket at home. Uh, the women's cricket, the standouts to me is a bunch of test cricket, a bunch more at least. We're going to see tests against England and India. Uh, pretty much every series that they play will include a test match. And then South Africa as well, which will be good to see. Yeah, that's going to be great. I'm, I'm really happy about that. You know, you've been saying for a long time, and I certainly hold the same opinion, that there needs to be more women's test cricket. Mm. And um, the schedule seems to indicate that we'll be seeing that. So that'll be awesome. Yep, and uh, disappointing one, though. New Zealand not scheduled for any women's test cricket. Uh, Susie Bates has still not played a test match, and she's been playing uh, literally forever. So, you know, disappointing there in New Zealand cricket. Look, they, they're one of the more progressive boards, right? They pay pay, men's and women's, uh, pay men and women the same amount of money for, for playing. Um, you know, they, they really do support the women's game in every aspect apart from test cricket. And I think part of it's just uh, the cost, you know, four days of cricket is, is prohibitive for these smaller countries. Yeah, yeah, it can be a bit restrictive, especially if you're not getting attendances. Like mm. men's test cricket do get quite a few attendances across the days, and I think they may be worried um, in the smaller nations that they won't get the same appeal of the women's cricket, which is disappointing. And um, maybe Susie Bates should look if she has a uh, an Australian grandparent and um, she can come play a test or two for us. Yeah, that would that'd be great. Um, I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is the ICC is just not strong enough. Um, and they don't have the ability to, to pull the money in and then distribute it out to the countries that need it. Uh, obviously, you know, Australia, India and England make a ton of money out of cricket, um, but most of it stays there. I think India makes, of every dollar made from cricket in the world, India makes 85 cents. So we, we need to be able to pull that money in and then distribute it out to these, these smaller countries, your Sri Lankas, your Zimbabwe's, your West Indies, and then even, you know, out to the United States and countries like that if we want to really grow the game to... To, um, you know, so they can afford to put on cricket. It's That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. But unfortunately, it's not looking like that will be how things roll. It looks like the BCCI and the IPL will be uh, taking over pretty much everything going forward. But we'll move on to something a little bit more positive. 
six or out, uh, everyone's favourite segment. Quick question, quick answer, all that good stuff. I will kick it off with something AFL-related. Um, this oh, week yeah. we saw Alistair Clarkson get signed by the North Melbourne Kangaroos um, he, as kind of like a super coach. Who would be cricket super coach? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I want to say Lehman, just because I really like him. Um, I'm not sure who cricket's super coach would be. Um, I feel like every cricket coach I've um, heard positive things about, I've also heard negative things about. And um, I don't think there's anyone as universally loved in cricket as how universally loved Clarkson is in AFL. Yeah. And, you know, that's it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but yeah, that's all I can really say. I like Lehman, I pick him, but that's um, that's just purely personal preference. Right. So my first question is, are Fifers in the 100 really something we should be worrying about or should we just should we just plaud it three wicket hauls? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the way, way to go. Like five wickets out of 20 balls is... A wicket every four balls, that's that's pretty difficult. So, um, look, I don't think you should be raising the ball or anything for a three-foot, but that's probably um, the mark of, you know, excellency in that in that format. Um, we see it in T20s as well. They list fourfers now. So that, I think that's part of it. I think yeah, five foot in, in 20 balls or even 24 in a, in a T20, it's just it's not realistic unless you're taking a hat trick like Alana King did. And even then, it will require you to take another one. So, yeah, um, it's it's... It's just not possible. I don't think it's, it's too many wickets. Okay. Is India not sending a full-strength team to Zimbabwe disrespectful? Um, depends on the reason. But if they're all available to play, then yes, it's certainly disrespectful because they're a full member. You know, mm-hmm. it's a scheduled series. Um, Zimbabwe cricket and Zimbabwe cricket fans will want to see the ace Indian players play. So I think it is pretty, pretty disrespectful if those elite players were available, didn't have a viable excuse and they just didn't select them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, My second question is, which nation do you see as the next emerging cricket nation? Like, so we've, we've talked about the big ones. There's Australia, New Zealand, India, England, South Africa. Those are probably all the big nations. Which nation do you think is next to take that step? Uh, to get to that, that top tier level, I think Pakistan is, you know, they're always there, like up and about in that, that kind of area. Baba Azam will probably take them to that next, that very next level of competing. The Pakistan Super League is obviously... Uh, really big and just growing and growing and they have the benefit of not playing the IPL. So they're not really seen by uh, a lot of these other players. I think that's part of it. And then just in terms of like ICC cricket overall, I think the United States is really where where we'll be growing in the next decade. The ICC is really pushing it at the moment. They pushed the, uh, the World Cup being hosted there. Uh, I saw that on socials today. So yeah, I think Pakistan will really start competing with these other countries and hopefully gain some consistency. And then the United States will become... I don't know, one of the, just another one of the 12 full, full members. Um, after England's big loss the other day, is Basball officially dead? No. I mean, we, we touched on this earlier, but I don't think it's officially dead. I think they just were overwhelmed by the strength of the South African side and the South mm-hmm. African bowling. Um, I think there is a balance to be struck 
but I don't think it's over because, you know, it's exciting to see, you know, we love a bit of Baz Ball. We, we love, we love a bit of Brendan McCollum. He's maybe the super coach of, um, yeah, of, maybe. Uh, of the cricketing world, but yeah, I, I don't think it's over. I don't think it's the death of Baz Ball. Cool. All right. So my last question is kind of linked to my previous one, but so in American sports, a lot of mm-hmm. them have what are effectively amateur drafts. You know, they take players from college or overseas or that sort of thing, and they draft them into the into the competition. Yeah. Should cricket look at a similar model? Uh, no, I think for the drafts will be for these bigger leagues. You know, the big bashes, the the hundred. Uh, the IPL, the auction is pretty much just a draft, right? Um, what I see cricket going down is more of a uh, UK-style academy uh, system where, like, in UK football, Manchester United, Manchester City, they have the, all these feeder leagues and feeder teams um, that, that bring their players in. I think, obviously, the IPL is starting to do that with all these, you know, the UAE League, the South African League, teams in the US and teams in the Caribbean. So I think that's probably the model we'll be going down going forward. I think Australia should, like international teams should be doing it as well. There's no reason not to have uh, an Australian setup in Sri Lanka where we're teaching players how to how to play for Australian conditions and conversely sending our players out there to learn how to to face spin and bowl spin properly. I think that's probably what we should be, what we should be doing and just you know finding as much talent as we can for these these leagues. And I think you know T20 cricket will will definitely be trying to do that. In, in gaining overseas players and then trying to find players, uh, you know, like a Tim David or like a Dirk Nannis back in the day who might be playing for a different country but is Australian qualified. Uh, I think that's probably the way we'll be going forward. Uh, but let's move on to what's going to be the biggest segment of the week, I would have thought. The mock draft, a bunch of work gone into this one. Obviously, we don't know what the platinum players or the, the different levels of players that will come out, I think, on the day or a couple of days beforehand. The proper draft is set to happen uh, next week after one of the ODI matches. Um, we're just having the three rounds because there's no point having bias like they're going to have in, in the auction. I don't know why they're doing it. Um, but you're kicking things off, Callum, because you have the first team. Yeah. So um, just to clarify um, for this segment, um, we're going to be alternating draft picks. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be drafting for the Renegades, the Heat, the Strikers, and the Thunder. And Rory will be drafting for the Stars, the Sixers, the Scorchers, and the Hurricanes. Yeah. So my first pick of our BBL mock draft is Faf du Plessis. Yeah, good, good pick. Very good pick, obviously. Um, yeah, good South African batter. Uh, won't be here the whole tournament, though, so I think you've missed out on one there. Um, I also had Faf du Plessis as the first pick for the Stars. Obviously, I can't have him if you're taking him. So uh, I'll take Riley Rousseau as the first pick for the Stars. Pretty much the same thing, right? He's South African batter, um, big hitting opener, that kind of thing. Played in the Big Bash before uh, for the Renegades, I believe. So, yeah, he's really good and had a really good English season as well. So he's coming in with a bunch of form. Yeah, that's those are good points. I'm um, I'm disappointed Rousseau's off the board, but oh well, I'll um, I'll adjust my picks. Um, so my third pick is basically going to plan. Um, I select for the Heat, Liam Livingston, powerful hitter, ace. You can't have Liam Livingston, sorry. Oh, okay, sorry, I didn't realise. No, 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 the Scorchers are going to retain him. <laughs> so that, that'll be my sixth pick, so you have to take someone else. All right, sure, that's fine. If that's the sixth pick, then I'll take Alex Hales. Yeah, good good call, good call. <laughs> um, 
who, who's that for? The Thunder? Um, for the Heat. For the Heat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, the Sixers, for the fourth pick of the draft, they're going to take James Vince. Just a retention pick there, obviously. Um, really, you know, really good batter. Um, has been with the Heat, uh, with the Sixers for a long time and, you know, can hit the ball pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Fifth pick's retained pick, Rashid Khan's going back to the strikers. Fair, fair point. Um, interesting. I, I don't think they... Do you think they're going to go there? I, I think they... You know, Cameron Boyce. I mean, they do have Boyce, but I think given the opportunity... I mean, maybe if he's taken off the board earlier, then they mm-hmm. won't worry about it. But I think given the opportunity, they'd like to keep him. Because he's pretty good, good at the bat as well. For the Thunder at the seventh pick, I'm going to take Dwayne Bravo. Wow. Interesting. Not, not too old for your liking. He can still hit it hard. He's a great attraction. Good good guy to pick. Fair enough. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, I had Rashid Khan as going to the Hurricanes at number eight. Obviously, if he's going to the Strikers, I can't have him. Um, so I'm going to take this Sri Lankan Mahish Tikshana. Uh, pretty much, you know, mystery spinner, same kind of deal, and very much a Hurricanes um, vibe pick. I think the Hurricanes pick some, some different players from... Uh, a lot of different countries, so that's that's where I'm going there. Cool, good pick, good pick. Um, for the Renegades at nine, I'm taking Imran to here. You're really going old on your picks, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just going for um, proven, experienced T20 franchise players, and yeah. Imran to here still takes a lot of wickets. He's a good pace, not pace bowler. He's a good um spin bowler. And um, he's a very animated fellow. And I think that's that's very fun. Mm. Uh, we're back to the stars with pick 10. And I'll be taking another West Indian, uh, Evan Lewis. Uh, just, uh, you know, big hitting opener, kind of uh, replacing. Remember when Andre Fletcher played at, at the stars? Hopefully a little bit better than that. But, yeah, I think the stars, look, they've obviously got Maxwell, they've got Stoinis, but I think they really need a, a third big, big, big hitting batter there. Yeah, Evan Lewis is a good pick. All right, so for number 11, I realize we've gone inverse order here, but that's fine. It works um, works both ways. Um, the Heat are going to select Colin Monroe. Okay. Good good selection. Colin Monroe, a very underrated player, I think. Definitely uh, another animated fellow and a very good T20 player, probably one of the best of all time. Uh, the Sixers will select Kyron Pollard next up. Just um, offers a bit of everything as well as some leadership. And, uh, you know, in the middle order, Vince up the top, Pollard in the middle, looking pretty strong. Yeah, that's a good pick. Pollard's, um, Pollard's a big hitter. And, um, yeah, he's um, also a great guy. I remember watching him play for the, for the Mumbai Indians all those years ago when I lived over there. And, yeah, he was, uh, he was great to watch. Uh, for the strikers at 13, I'm going to select Dinesh Chandamal. Interesting. Why is that? Um, I like the idea of having Chandamal. Um, strikers like taking um, players that are maybe less traditional, mm-hmm. and I think Chandamal fits that bill quite well. Um, experienced international player, pretty good batter, and um, just, you know, fun guy to have around. Uh, another underrated one in the Scorchers pick uh, will be Laurie Evans, obviously played there last year, and, and was um, really surprising, I think, was, was one of their better players. Yep, that's a that's a good pick. That's a smart pick. Um, the Thunder are going to pick in the second round, Kevin Sinclair. Oh, interesting. They've been watching some uh, late night West Indies ODIs, haven't they? They have. Yep, yep. Um, we've been, <laughs> we've been hanging out together, the uh, Thunderboard and I. <laughs> nice. Okay, interesting. I'm going with the Hurricanes taking another 
very much a Hurricanes type of pick. I don't think anyone else would would touch this player, but I think they're going to take Ollie Pope. Um, has really uh, grown in the England team over the last year or so and uh, hasn't really shown the world what he can do in a white ball cricket either. Yeah, that's a nice pick. Ollie Pope's a good player. Love it. Um, the Hurricanes, another pick for them. Um, Jamie Overton. Obviously, we saw him do really well for England in that um, in that test match. He's big. He bowls fast. He hits the ball a long way. Pretty easy pick in T20 cricket. Nice. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, Thunder, Lewis Gregory, performing well on the 100. Good all-rounder. Good T20 franchise player. That's who I'm taking. Yeah, he was my backup there if... if uh, if Jamie Overton wasn't was uh, selected by you, um, the Scorchers pick uh, Brighton Cass. I think uh, an, another one of these big hitting all rounders who bowls very fast. He was meant to play the Scorchers uh, last season, but I think he picked up a hamstring injury or, or some kind of leg injury like that, uh, so wasn't able to go. All right, cool. Strikers are going to take Jake Ball. Jake Ball, interesting. What's, another what's your proven, proven T Twenty. Uh journeyman and mm. um i think having experience um helps in a locker room like that of the strikers um he can bowl pretty accurately um he can also be quite expensive but he from what i heard of him in the past couple of big bashes that he's been here he seems like a great guy to have in the locker room as well so i think that's kind of what factored into my pick there interesting uh, originally i had Dwayne bravo for this pick but obviously you've selected him Earlier, um, so the Sixers are going to take David Wiesa as uh, pick uh, as their their final pick in the draft. Just uh, you know, as I said in earlier in the episode, incredibly big hitter and and bowls really well, and um, good to see some associate cricketers out uh, in the middle as well. Nice, yeah, that's that is really good. Um, for the Heat's final pick, they're going to retain Mujibur Rahman. Just yeah, common sense there. Obviously, really good, uh, good bowler and just more Afghanistan stuff, which is, which is really good to see. Um, so the Stars' final pick, I was tempted to go with the, uh, the Indian-American Umat, uh, um, how do you say his name? Umat, Umkant. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was tempted to go with him um, just from a marketing point of view like the Renegades did last year, really sell it into India. Uh, but we won't do that. I think the Stars are smarter than that. They'll probably pick someone who can, uh, who can win them games, and that will be Reese Topley with the ball. I think the Stars are, are lacking a little bit of quality with the ball. Um, they kind of had... Uh, you know, some a lot of great cricketers with the ball last year, and part of that was obviously COVID, but part of it is that they don't have, you know, the, the bowling lineup that, like, say, the strikers do. So I think Reese Topley, left armour, opening the innings, bowling the death will be really important. Yep, I'm pretty disappointed about Topley. He was going to be my final pick, but that's okay. <laughs> um, the Renegades will retain Mohamed Nabi. Nabi, yeah, good pick. Love it. Beautiful. Uh, you've gone really old there, like Nabi. Uh, Tahir, Bravo, you picked, uh, you know, experienced players that have that have really proven uh, proven what they're worth. A, a few that um, I thought might have gone, but obviously haven't. Paul Sterling for Ireland, um, you know, top of the order would have been really good and big hitter, um, and it would have been good to see him get a get a T twenty gig around the world. Um, and Sandeep, no, no one's no one's touched Sandeep there. I kind of expected you would take Lamashani, so I kind of just wrote him off my list automatically. <laughs> I think there's there's plenty of good leg spinners around the world that you might not have to touch. Uh, Santeep, obviously, he had some visa issues last season, right? So it was, you know, he had a, a few issues there. But that kind of rounds it up. We'll wrap that up uh, with an article. I'll wrap it up with a few other things. 
uh, in the episode. We'll chuck it up on YouTube. All that good stuff. I think that'll that'll wrap anything up. Anything else you want to say about the draft before we move on? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I I'm looking forward to seeing how wrong we are. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. So that'll that'll wrap things up for the week. Um, Callum, where can people find you on social media? Yep. So I'm just on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. Perfect. And I'm at Rory underscore Dennis everywhere. Um, you can find the Top Edge on Instagram and on Twitter at the Top Edge Podcast. Um, Edge of the Crowd. You can find literally everywhere at Edge of the Crowd. TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. Instagram, YouTube, a bunch of other stuff. Um, you can check out all the writing, including the write-up of the draft at edgeofthecrowd.com. But for this week, we will call Stumps on the episode and we will see you all next week.